So, uh, welcome uh, to the latest episode of the Maltcast. I'm Kit Malthouse, the Member of Parliament for North West Hampshire and Housing Minister. And this is the latest in a series of podcasts that we're doing about broadly issues that are important to me. Um, and today we're talking about one of the most important, uh, which is assisted dying. Um, uh, for a long time now, pretty much since my teens, I've been a proponent of choice at the end of life. The notion that um, people who are an extremist, suffering from horrible, debilitating diseases, should have some control um, about the manner, place, time of their own death. Um, it's certainly something that I would want for myself, um, and on that basis I've been working over the last uh, three or four years uh, to try and create that ability for everybody else. And during that uh, campaign, um, there are lots of people that I've met who agree with me, but in particular today I'm very pleased to welcome uh, two um, of those people that we've sort of come together um, to try and campaign for a change in the law. Um, and they are, I've got with me uh, Sarah Wooten, who's the Chief Executive of Dignity in Dying, the main kind of campaigning group on this issue, and Tom Beatty Spicer, who is actually a constituent of mine, um, who had his own personal experiences, has become very involved um, in the campaign. Now, Tom, you and I met... Uh, yeah. Through this issue, well, I'd actually come and cut the ribbon on your yes, new shop in Overton, the constituency, but yes. we didn't know that we both had an interest in this. Yes, um, and that subsequently, when you became aware of my involvement, made contact. Made contact. We, we both yourself, got involved. Yeah. Just, to, just talk to us through your your own personal experience, because so many people come to this from personal experience. Yeah, I mean, my my experience started three and a half years ago um, when my mum came to myself and my partner and asked if we would support her through the decision to, to go to Switzerland, to go to um, Dignitas. And so the whole journey of you know contacting yourself and working with Sarah and the charity, it's personal because my mum actually flew to Switzerland to end her life. Mm. Now, this must have been a, obviously a very difficult decision for you. Yes. I mean, and for her, yes. I mean, quite a hard thing to cope with. But obviously you supported her on her journey. Yes. Um, and... I mean, it would be quite interesting to understand the conflict within you about that. I mean, it's the biggest conflict really was in one hand, it was mum and I could see that she was suffering and her illness was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I just wanted to allow her to do whatever she needed to do. But in the other hand, it was I'm going to lose my mum at the end of the day. And I was, you know, um, early 30s and the thought of not having my mum for another 5, 10, 15, 20 years, that's the hardest bit. And that was really the only argument. I didn't have an argument about is what she's doing right or is what she's doing wrong. That's not my decision because I wasn't the one suffering. I wasn't the one that was ill. She was. It was that I'll lose my mum at the end of the day. Well, it's, it's interesting because one of the things that's common, I think, to all the people that I've met, and there are more than you as constituents but wider, yeah. is that people who've... Um, uh, you know, helped relatives to Switzerland or whatever. That the the motivation fundamentally comes from a place of love, yes, right? It's it's completely. a compassionate thing to do, yeah. um, and and this is one of the arguments that I've tried to land mm. uh, with as many of colleagues as possible. That this is not something anybody does with any relish, right? This is an awful, terrible thing choice for people to make. Absolutely. But in the end, Absolutely. it's a th it's a thing of love. Yeah, completely. And I think so many people have this this view that it's done oh because you don't want that member of family around or you want your inheritance and stuff like that actually the so many people i talk talked to and have met over that have done the same journey as I have it's done out of love for 
that person, be mm -hmm. it their husband, their wife, their um, you know their parent or anything. It's love. It's for no other reason. And what's um, uh, also kind of interesting is the number of people who go through that experience and then become very serious advocates for yes. the cause, right? Yeah. So every, the people I meet are sort of who've been through this awful experience, and it is awful, who nevertheless become kind of fervent in their desire yeah. to provide that choice to other people. Because, of course, one of the mistakes people make is that we don't have it in this country. Actually, we do if you have the money. Yes. Right? So you, you can go to Switzerland, right? Yes. Yep. If you've got the 10 grand or 15 grand and you can go through, you can go. Yes. So I, I remember in the debate in 2015, I said that we, you know, we've effectively got business class assisted yes. dying, right? Which seems to me unjust, right? That, that poorer people, people who just don't have the money can't, can't access it. And now, Sarah, just turning to you for your view. I mean, obviously, you've got great advocates like Tom alongside you yes, now brilliant. campaigning. How is the campaign going? It's going well. Um, we've had a number of successes recently. We've launched a campaign in Scotland, um, which is looking to consider a bill um, probably in next year or the year after. And you mentioned love earlier, Kit. I mean, the campaign there was very much around love. It was around individual family members wanting support from their loved ones to help them access an assisted death in this country. And you're right, because as well as having a two-tier system where only the rich can afford to go to Switzerland to have an assisted death, we've also got the situation where there's really no safeguards. Uh, there's, there's no kind of protection for vulnerable people uh, apart from a, a possible investigation when somebody returns from Switzerland, which really isn't proper protection. So what you need is a, a law with upfront safeguards which would better protect people and give people choice at the end of life. Okay, so we've had a couple of developments recently in the campaign, right? So the Royal College of Physicians has moved its position from against to neutral. We're seeing growing support in the medical profession. But critically, if we're going to get change, then you know Parliament has to play a role. And, and after the 2015 election, you and I sat down together and, and agreed a kind of strategy, a persuasive strategy for members of parliament that was around building a network. How is, how is that going? That's going really well. We've got 45 groups across the country and MPs are changing their mind. The huge numbers have changed their minds since the 2015 bill. Um, we've got legal cases. The Noel Conway case generated huge amounts of interest from people across the country. Hundreds and thousands of people have signed up. So, to just to explain it. about Noel. So, Noel, because listeners may not know about the Conway case, just explain. So, Noel has motor neurone disease, and he wants the choice of an assisted death in this country. And he challenged the blanket ban on assisted dying. He actually challenged the 1961 statute. This blanket prohibition on assisted dying. And he got all the way through to the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court at that point said that he had insufficient prospects of winning the case, so they closed it down at that point. Right, okay. I'm sure there'll be other people to take Noel's case, but he generated a lot of interest from MPs, from the public, from the media. Somebody else who's come on since is Jeff and Anne Whaley. So in okay. February, um, Jeff, who also has motor neuron disease, he wanted to go to Switzerland. He was actually, before he went, somebody made an anonymous call to the police to tell them about um, Jeff going. And so Anne, his wife of 50 years, was interviewed under caution. I know that didn't happen to you, yeah. Tom. Yeah. Um, but, but Anne was interviewed. They were 
they were furious that this was going to happen to them. So we were able to bring them in to talk to MPs in February, about a week before Jeff went to Switzerland okay. to have an assisted death. Well, th this this approach, I, my own experience is, is working, right? So just before this recording, I've been in the tea room talking to a member for Mid Worcestershire, Nigel, Nigel Huddleston, who said to me he has changed his mind in response to, you know, his constituents who've been to see him to talk about this issue. And we've certainly seen that across the piece. You know, Richard Bennion, my neighbour in, in Newbury, the same. Yeah. So there's this sort of gentle... Daniel Kuchinski, Knowles MP. Exactly. Yeah. So, the, so this gentle, persuasive bringing people to the issue yeah. um, it seems to be, you know, paying greater dividends, if you like, than a kind of bulldozer, you know, this kind of thing. Because a lot of people have doubts about this. I mean, you know, it, it wouldn't be right if we didn't discuss some of the... the arguments against right so yeah. what are the kind of broad themes that people say that that turn them off the issue well first of all people might say that palliative care can alleviate all suffering at the end of life um, it definitely can't it's not a blanket panacea and there are you know despite the best palliative care in hospice care in this country people still do suffer um, the other thing is that um, in countries where it is lawful and there are more and more states and countries who are who are adopting this legislation um, it's shown that the legislation actually improves palliative care, that there is greater access to that, and not only that, that people have better conversations. Yeah. Well, I also think it's, it seems a strange argument to say it's either or. You can have both. Exactly. Right, it's perfectly exactly. possible. Yeah. I mean, and the, the law we were campaigning for only came into effect for people who were in the last six months of their yeah. life, right? Now, so some of these awful, horrible conditions that people get last a lot longer than that. Yes. So having some sort of palliative care alongside is going to be necessary too. I mean, we do very well in this country on palliative care, but yeah. we can always do better. Yeah. And they're not mutually exclusive, right? No, definitely both and. And as I said, the conversations around how you want to die are so important. And basically, it's not just around the kind of care that people get, it's around the concerns that they have. So where assisted dying is lawful overseas, about 40% of people, when they get the prescription in in the US don't use it it's just having the comfort of knowing it's there well, that's, that's the critical the, thing I think that's the key thing is that you somebody said that you know by having assisted dying they can get on with living yeah rather than worrying about what their end is is going to be like I mean I you know, I'm married to a Canadian and obviously it's now yeah. legal in Canada yeah and it'd be interesting to see what their experience is but my sense is that around the world where this is growing in you know, more and more states as you say in Victoria in Australia in Canada and, yeah. and European countries right the evidence of the arguments against the abuse or the rest of it is is just not there I mean over 110 million people worldwide now have access to assisted dying legislation the sort of law that we're calling for and so the hypothetical fears of people who are concerned about this need to be tested against the actual practice that's going on overseas yeah that's exactly right and and we know from polling that that, that it enjoys enormous support in the population. Right? We've just I mean, done another poll oh, yeah. of 5,000 people okay. and that shows that the support has actually increased. Mm -hmm. So it's gone up to 84% of Britons. It's actually risen to 87% of Scots mm -hmm. think the law should be changed. I mean, interesting, Tom, your, what's been the reaction? I mean, you've obviously been very public about yes. your participation. What has been the reaction from friends well, and family? Well, Sarah and I were talking about it before we came in and I've never had a negative thing come back on any of my stories or anything that mum did you know there was obviously when mum first um, died um, there was shock but actually um, it's been a hundred percent full support throughout um, the whole journey so people understand why mum has done it why I'm campaigning why um, Sarah and the charity are doing what they do why you're doing what you do because it's the right thing and I think with the numbers we're seeing and the change it's it's 
it's changing. Yeah, I mean, we, as part of the campaign, we also launched this organisation, Conservatives for Choice at the End of Life. Forgive me for being slightly political about it, but mm. these things are done on, on a party basis. And at that time, we did some polling that showed that support for it was actually higher amongst Conservative voters. Yes. You know, and, and part of this, I think, is is giving politicians the sort of confidence to, to 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 wrestle with what is a very difficult issue we have to acknowledge that yeah. a very yeah. difficult issue the nature of somebody's death in a horrible circumstances and to, and to kind of step over the line mm. to realizing that a this has enormous sort of intuitive support yeah. but b as far as we're concerned is the compassionate yeah. thing to do yeah, right? yeah. That, that it's like other progressive legislation like reproductive choice or gay rights it's really a win once campaign so but it, it's a make when you when when the legislation actually comes in we'll look back and think how could it have yeah. been how could it have been so cruel well this is well so this long? is this is exactly the point so i've, I've said to a number of mps because i uh, you know as part of the campaign, I do a softly, softly talking to members about where are you on assisted dying? And one of the things I always ask them is, if the law was existing, would you vote to reverse it? Mm. Yeah. Right. And, and they and say no. Well, yeah, no. And their reaction is like, oh, hadn't thought of it that yeah. way, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. coming at it from the other end of the telescope often can make people think differently about these things. Another concern that MPs often have is that vulnerable people will be coerced. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, again, you've got to look at the evidence from overseas on that. And there's absolutely no indication of that whatsoever, either in the sort of the terminal illness laws in the in the states we've discussed or in the European laws either. Yeah. People often point to the European laws in the Benelux countries, but those were always broader laws. They were always mm. based on unbearable suffering. So a larger number of people will access those laws. About 4% of dying people access those laws. Mm. So that that's just the way that, that laws are created for different countries. And I think at the end of the day, the UK has to get the law that's right yes. For us, um, but absolutely a vast proportion of the general public want this law to change. If the if the law had changed, Tom, I mean, in your experience, what what improvement would it have made for you, you and your mum? It would have given us maybe six months, twelve months, maybe a little bit more together. But what it would have given is the dignity that mum could have died in her own home or in an, in a, a nice hospice or hospital without so many lies and hidden, because no one knew. It was in secret. Everybody found out the day she died, um, other than myself, my partner, and um, her mum and sister. No one knew, so it would allow freedom and choice and not be hidden away and felt like a criminal. Yeah, well, this is the this is the most powerful argument for me, really, that is once you've got over the, the hump that we're allowing this, which we yeah. are in mm. Switzerland, yeah. right, the notion of not only that somebody like you has to cope with the trauma... Yeah. Of, of your mum leaving, yes. you know, which is horrible for anybody. But added to that is this requirement for subterfuge and secrecy yeah. and the logistics, frankly, of getting yeah. to Switzerland. I mean, mm. I've got, you know, people I know who are very immobile in the late stages of disease mm. who are having to travel overseas, yeah. you know, which is very difficult for them. And often with a small number of family members, rather than being able to say goodbye yeah. Yeah. properly yeah. and in a dignified way. And exactly. in the end, you know, this is, as a, so we come back to where we started, right? This is about dignity and love. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right? How would yeah. you want to be treated yourself yeah. at yeah. the end of your life? Yeah, and if, yeah. if you've got a particular way you would like to go, the choice you want to make, fundamentally the most important choice that anybody has, which is about where and how they die and when, mm. yeah. you, know, you have to give that to other people. Yeah. And I think this is the case which hopefully together the three of us and the yes, wider indeed. growing group mm -hmm. can make over the over the years to come and hopefully will get change as they have in countries other liberal democracies 
around the world. So thanks very much for coming in today. Yes. Thank as, you. As hopefully yeah, thank people, you. listeners will realise, um, uh, you know, this is an important issue to me, but also to, to, to my two guests today, yeah. um, because it speaks to something about our humanity. And that's, you know, unusual these days in, in politics. Just before we finish, so where can people go to get more information? Go to the Dignity and Dying website and then you can learn where you could campaign locally with your MP. Okay, great. And we'll put up some information on my Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, my website, all that kind of stuff. So you can go and, go and have a look. And um, if you feel as motivated as we do, or even if you just want to learn about the issue, I recommend you go and get the information that you need. Thanks very much.